Matthew 13, verses 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Our subject this morning is simply, or our title, is Blessed Are Your Eyes, For They See. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. All throughout the New Testament, we are told that we are born with a desire to remove and to exclude God from our thinking. Man, of course, left to himself, does not think about God. He doesn't desire God. He doesn't look for ways to find God. Matter of fact, he tries to push God away. He tries to deny the existence of God in a world that screams that there is a God. Paul writes in Romans that as, even as we look at creation, that man is left without excuse. Even creation screams there's a God. So man is left with the either the desire to know God or the desire to live according to his own ways and his own standards. Our very nature is very much very similar to after Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, they attempted to hide themselves from God. And mankind does not want God's presence. Mankind does not want God to tell them what they can and cannot do. As a matter of fact, if we understood uh, more clearly, even before we are converted, uh, we would do everything we could to escape the very presence of God. But yet we know when our Lord taught these parables, and as we've learned over the last two weeks looking at this parable of the sower, we understand that not all that hear respond in salvation. We also know that the word is received by some. It does not take root and later it leaves. Some of the seed that falls, falls by the wayside. And we've learned all the uh, illustrations of farming and agriculture of how even in those days that the farmers in those days did not plow the fields like we plow today. Uh, they would throw down the seed first and then the ground would be tilled. And uh, there was no doubt there was seed that went everywhere. And we know that the sower of the seed is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The problem is not with the seed. The seed is not faulty. And we certainly know the sower is not faulty. Now again, most of the times we lose sight of the fact that the sower is Christ. And the seed that He is sowing is the Gospel. It is the Word of God. It accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish. Many have made mistakes over the years where they'll make a comment like, well, the Word of God failed. The Word of God did not produce the intended result. I've watched evangelists and pastors get so irritated and so upset that people were not responding to the message the way they thought they should that they became even enraged that why are you people not responding? Why are you not listening? I was in that camp long enough. You cannot manipulate that seed. You cannot make that seed do something that it was not intended to do. Just like I cannot convince a soul to suddenly decide for God by playing 50 verses of just as I am. It's not going to accomplish it. I, I love the song just as I am. I absolutely love it. But if you think God needs that to convert the soul, you've placed your faith and your hope in the wrong thing. 
If we preach the word of God and we leave with no so-called results, but we've done it according to what God's word has said, we've preached the word faithfully and truthfully, we've preached the text, not man's philosophy. If we leave here in a few moments and the word appears to have done nothing, we can still say we've done what we've been called to do. We may not see results. You may not see mighty conversions all at once. We may not see five people converted today. But we do know that the Word of God always accomplishes that which it sets out to do. The problem is never with the sower, Christ, and the problem is never with the seed. Now, no doubt, man has taken the Bible and has twisted it. The Gospel is not always preached as it should be. The Gospel becomes some form of 99% God, 1% man, or sadly, sometimes 50-50. Sometimes it's said, God's done all He can do to save you, now you do your part. That's not the Gospel. God's not meeting us halfway. It is either all of the Lord or it's none of the Lord. And yet, the parables, again, as we've learned over the last couple of weeks, can be very, very difficult to comprehend what was Jesus trying to say. Uh, No doubt there are many people who are attending church services today. They hear the preaching of the Word, but they really don't care about what they're hearing, and they have no desire to do anything with what they hear. They really want no part of God. They certainly don't want Christ. Then you say, why are they here? Uh, People attend church for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Some people, they were brought up, and it's just something that you do. It's just a part of my Sunday routine. But they don't come with a desire and an appetite for the things of God. And I would say that's the very first thing. When we come to hear the Word of God preached, there's actually, I want to hear from God. I may not understand. I may not know why I'm here, but I want to hear from God. Sadly, our old stubborn, hard heart will say, I don't want to hear anything because that's what our nature is. It's contrary to God. So what does it require? It requires the seed. It requires the true gospel. Remember, we looked uh, last week and the previous week from Isaiah chapter number 6, and we showed you how Isaiah 6 is often used as that missionary endeavor, how here I am, send me. And again, I'm all for missions. I'm all for worldwide evangelism. I'm for uh, neighborhood evangelism. I'm, I'm for giving the gospel first and foremost into your household. But I want you to understand that Isaiah was not chosen as a prophet to go and open ears and open eyes. It actually says, I'm sending you out to close eyes and clog up ears. That's what Isaiah 6 says. God in his sovereignty was sending out Isaiah not to open everything, but to close them. Now in our humanity, we say, why would God do that? Doesn't God want everyone to be saved. Now, I would caution you about how you ask that question. Doesn't God want? I want you to think about that for a few moments. What does God want? What is God doing? What is God accomplishing, if anything? Is God dependent upon poor preachers who give a poor presentation of the gospel? Is he dependent upon the missionaries who maybe don't hold to the right gospel message? Or could it be that as the seed goes forth, he saves those who are intended to save? What does God want? Well, Jesus, as he taught the parables, he teaches the parables understanding that parables were not meant to be understood by everybody that heard them. Now, you may have grown up in a church that said the parables were given to give us a greater understanding, but you realize not everybody can understand those parables. 
The parables were not being given as an evangelistic sermon per se. They were being given to those who could hear and those who could see. That's why the words, blessed are your eyes for they see. It doesn't say, blessed are your eyes. Now let me turn to those who can't and make sure their eyes are open. He says, I want you to think about your eyes. Last week we dealt with the subject to them, it's not been given. Clearly showing that there were some, and that goes all the way back uh, in verses 14 and 15, which is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Again, that was as a result of the preaching of Isaiah. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes. It's contrary to those eyes that are still closed. Folks, I don't think we fully comprehend what a blessing it is that you can see any gospel truth at all. The fact that you can understand that I can understand a single thing we're reading today, again, ought to lead us to a spirit of worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because you did not arrive at this by your own intellect and your own understanding. Your eyes are open because God opened them. Your ears are unstopped because God unstopped them. We are never, ever, ever going to give glory to the human in their salvation. We're going to give all glory to Christ. We're going to give all glory to God because it's He alone that does it. Now, our old flesh doesn't like that. We like to be needed. In day-to-day life, we think we need to be needed. And it's carried over into our salvation. We think God certainly must need me. But you'll notice that when Jesus speaks these parables, he doesn't call for someone to say, now make sure those with their eyes closed and ears stopped up, make sure they understand what I'm saying. No, he says, blessed are your eyes that you see. The reality here is, is that you understand, really, and do I understand what God was saying? He's explaining to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter number 6. He goes on and Isaiah asks the question in verses 9 through 13. He gives a very direct question. He said, Lord, how long? How long is this message going to be? And the Lord makes an interesting statement because He makes reference that He has kept for Himself a remnant, which is explained as a tenth, which He says, I will raise up this people again. We learned about this in our 10 o'clock this morning as we began a study of Romans 11. But Isaiah's mission, he was not being sent out to open eyes and unclog ears but rather the opposite. Again, how many preachers would sign up for that? How many preachers would go and be a Jeremiah now that says, listen, I want to go out and I want to see absolutely positively no gospel success. What if I was to tell you, listen, we're going to preach and preach and preach and preach and I'm going to be here for 30 years and we're not going to see a single soul converted. We're not going to see anything. Would we still want a part of a ministry like that? No, we would be judged as saying, listen, you're doing something wrong because you should have people coming by droves. Should we? What does God want? It's not what does God want, it's what does God do? God accomplishes what He set out to accomplish. Now thankfully, and maybe humbly it should be, God allows us to be used in this process. I don't know why God did it this way. 
I don't know why God would say, I want you to carry on this message. I want you to carry the gospel. I'm God. It'd be quick for us to think, well, he must need us to elaborate on his word. No, just give the word. The parables, of course, Isaiah's mission was one that was to clog ears, to blind eyes. Much different than what we would say today. But as we see here, he says again, blessed are your eyes. First of all, I want us to see today, verses 16 and 17, I want us to see, and I've already mentioned this as part of the introduction, the divine blessing of Revelation. The divine blessing of Revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but spiritual Revelation. What Jesus is teaching them here is that they are, they are seeing a hint of what a blessing it is that they can actually see. That they can see and they can hear God's truth. A truth that he says many prophets. Look at verse 17. Many prophets and righteous men desire to see those things which ye see. He says you men see things that those prophets couldn't see. Now I know we're tempted in our, in our study of the Bible to elevate characters in the Bible. It's part of my problem with a lot of children's material. It elevates the person. It elevates the man. It, it teaches our kids, hey, you be a Daniel, you be a David, you be a Moses. That's not what the point of those stories are. I'm not David, I'm not Moses, I'm not Daniel. It's about Daniel, David, and their God. It's about Abraham's God. It's not about the person. We are so enthralled with man's part and so enthralled with what man should be able to do that we think we can dictate what God wants. I can't dictate to God what He wants. I can only proclaim what He has said He will do. And Jesus tells His disciples, you're blessed because you see things the prophets didn't see. You see things that righteous men, what a beautiful term that is. Not righteous on their own standards, not righteous by their own person, but the righteousness of God. He said, they've desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them. You hear those things which they, you, you hear and have not heard them. Abraham, we're told in Scripture, longed to see these things, but he never fully saw them. Moses uh, would have given anything to see. He, wasn't even, he was only allowed to see the promised land. He wasn't even able to go in. Imagine that. The call of Moses to lead those people for all those years and in a, in a breakdown of his humanity, he sins against God and God says, you're not going to go in. And you say, boy, that's pretty harsh on old Moses, isn't it? I mean, he did almost everything right. But he sinned against the holy God and he wasn't allowed to go in. You see, the reality is what Moses longed to see, what Abraham longed to see, what about what David wanted to see? What about Isaiah? What about Jeremiah? Jesus says, you're seeing what these men didn't see. All these prophets who lived in ages past were looking to these future. They were looking to these promises that God had given, but they died in faith. Hebrews 11 tells us they died in the faith without fully seeing and fully hearing what you're hearing and what you're seeing. As I keep saying, we, have, we know more from a biblical perspective from a scriptural perspective, than even those men did. Again, they could not pull out their Bibles and say, turn to the New Testament, let's read about Jesus in the New Testament, even though Jesus is all over the Old Testament. He's in every book. 
He's in every chapter. He's on every page. He's in the very first words of the Bible. Let us make man in our own image. The let us is a reference to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was part of the Creator. He's all over it. We see the gospel as soon as Genesis 3. Some would argue it's even before that, but it's there. It's there all over the pages. And Jesus says, listen, if you can see these things, if you can hear those things, I want you to know how blessed you are. I remember as a child not fully understanding what it is to be blessed, how blessed I was to actually be a believer. Again, I have had a, I've had a, a life of testimony that's been a little confusing for me. Because I was convinced at one time in my life that seven years old was that pivotal point. That was the day I got saved. But so much beyond that. Didn't look anything like God. Didn't look anything like righteousness. Didn't look like any desire to live a holy life. Didn't look like anything that would say, that's one of my children. All the evidence I had was it was written in my Bible. I couldn't really tell you, explain why I needed to be saved. Why sin so bad? Again, that's not the case for everybody. But my journey is not as simple. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church every single time the doors were. We didn't miss. But you can do all that and not hear a thing, not see a thing, and walk out and say, listen, I am totally fine. No, it wasn't later in life that I actually could see and I could hear. And I said, boy, there was a lot I wasn't seeing and there was a lot I wasn't hearing. He says, blessed if you hear. Blessed if you see. If you understand these parables, you understand these truths, it is truly a blessing. In answer to the disciples' question, remember, Jesus was asked a question. This is what leads to this. Again, context matters. Jesus asked them, asked, uh, the disciples rather, asked Jesus in verse 10, why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why are you using parables? And remember what he said. He answered and said unto them, because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. Literally, he says, I'm speaking them in parables because it's not given to them to understand it. We can argue with God, but that's what he says. But you has been given to. Blessed are you if you get it. Blessed if you understand it. So in answer to Jesus, our disciples' question to Jesus, he explained to them that he used parables, and I want you to remember this, both to reveal and to conceal. The parables revealed to those who could understand it, but it concealed to those who could not. To those who had ears to hear, the parables were words of life. When I read the parables now, they're words of life to me. They're words of life. That's a blessing if you see these as words of life. You say, I sit here today and I don't understand it. I'm begging you, beg God to give you understanding. Don't beg God to make me more clear. I'm telling you, beg God to give you understanding. If you sit here today and you say, I don't understand any of this preach. I don't understand anything that's being said. Beg God to give you understanding. And every one of us who are seated here today ought to be begging God to give understanding to those who are sitting here today who do not know Christ. Your greatest desire would, should be today that nobody leaves this building today unconverted. Not that I've already settled this matter. No. 
You can never hear the Gospel enough, no matter how long you've been saved. I've said it many times, and I'm going to say it again. That's the worst accusation I've ever had personally, is I keep being asked, why do you keep preaching the Gospel? We're beyond that stage. Really? Do we know that for certain? Do we know that everyone here is converted? I don't. Do you? Do you know everyone in this room has ears to hear, eyes to see? I don't. But you have spiritual conversations with people. They must be. I mentioned at 10 o'clock, the Pharisees could carry on a very good spiritual conversation with you and they didn't know God. They knew all about the Bible. This isn't about knowing about the Bible. It's about knowing the God of the Bible. It's about knowing Christ. These parables... We're not, just, we're not given just to be revealing. They were meant to also conceal. To those who had ears to hear, they were words of life. To those whose hearts were hardened, they could not hear, they weren't going to understand. The parables were nothing more than stories that could not be made sense of and mysteries to them that simply didn't make sense. And yet this is the main first parable Jesus teaches. It's about one, about those who can hear and see and those who cannot. It is the divine blessing of revelation. Grace opens our eyes. What a wonder it is. What a treasure it is to be able to gaze upon Christ, to be able to sing with understanding. Again, to sing hymns. It's not the Bible. I get it. But if you could understand relentless love, If you can understand all glory be to Christ, not part of of the glory, all of the glory. A not as familiar song, how sweet the name Jesus, the name of Jesus sounds. We maybe couldn't sing that in perfect unity, but if you paid attention to the words, you were singing a beautiful song. And God was not was not unimpressed because we didn't sing it all in unity. You sing with understanding. You have eyes that see, ears that hear. The voice of God, who before the foundation of the world chose you to be one of His. You have the greatest understanding that mankind can ever get if you understand the gospel today. It's greater than being a rocket scientist. It's greater than being a physician. It's greater than being whatever you choose. If you see and hear and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are indeed blessed. You may not live in the largest house. You may not be in the greatest social circles. But if you know Christ and His Word, you are blessed. The counsel of the Lord, Jesus is telling His disciples, the counsel of God has been revealed to you. You are blessed. You are under the Gospel. You're made known. You have been been made known to you what the best of people, what the law could not bring out, Christ has. Christ didn't come to do away with the law. He fulfilled it perfectly. His obedience was required. Don't ever say Christ didn't have to do anything. He had to fulfill the law perfectly. Christ had to die. Christ had to shed His blood. There was no other way. It was the only way to satisfy the demands of a holy God. And He did it. The Gospel humbles us. 
This parable humbles us. Jesus uses the words, for verily I say unto you, or truly, this statement of what I'm telling you is truth. Today, the question is, are you among the blessed? You say, well, I'm blessed. I have a great job. I have a nice home. I have a great family. I have food on my table. You can simply be the recipient of common grace, but not His redeeming, saving grace. You see, God even shines upon the atheist. God's putting food all over atheist tables all over the world. So much that we get confused and we say, why is God rewarding evil? Why is God providing for that hater of God? It's God's common grace. But there is this distinguishing grace that God says, and these are the ones that hear and these are the ones that do not. Folks, these are truths I could not understand. And my biggest hurdle was my own selfish pride was in the way. Because I only wanted to understand that if it fit my way of what God should do and what I thought God wanted. Come to find out what I wanted was not what God's plan and His decrees are. And yet, here Christ very clearly says, it's a blessing if you have this. What kind of thanksgiving, what kind of gratitude should we return to God because of what He has done for us? There is that blessing of revelation. Verses 18 through 22, our second heading is the explanation of the parable of the sower. Uh, Christ gives the explanation. This is one of those parables where in the beginning He doesn't say what the meaning is, but He now gives the meaning of the parable. Now, instead of us trying to elaborate and trying to make it fit a narrative and me to give you a lot of illustrations to try to sway you, I want us to simply just read the text. Because here's the reality. Those who can hear will hear it, and those that can see it are going to see it. But notice what he says. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. Now a couple points here. The word of the kingdom is a reference to the gospel itself. Okay, the gospel is not as much of an invitation as it is a command. This is a truth I did not understand for a long time. Just give the invitation for people to repent. Just give the invitation to believe on Christ. That is not the way it's portrayed in Scripture. It is commanded, repent and believe the gospel. There's a difference between authority and giving me a choice to acknowledge the authority. The gospel is a command. Repent. When you repented and trusted in Christ, you were made willing to believe that truth. I repented. Repentance is a gift of God. Bible teaches that. It's the gift of God. It goes out with authority. So as he gives the description here, it proclaims, what does the gospel proclaim? It proclaims Christ. Okay? To hear something and not understand it, is to leave that seed. It's not to take that seed in. It's heard, but it's not really received. 
But notice there's a reference made to a wicked one. Then cometh the wicked one. At the very moment seed goes forth, there's always a plan. There's always a desire. Now again, I want to be careful how I say this because it's not always Satan himself because Satan is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere equally at the same time. But the demons, the demonic angels are. And there, of course, is a desire for that seed to not do what it's intended to do. There's no question about that. But we get this idea that there's this battle going on between the seed and Satan and the seed and the devil and the, the demons and that in the case where it doesn't work, that the devil won. Listen, I want you to understand, the devil is a defeated foe. He was defeated on the cross. God's Word always accomplishes its intended purposes. Now, it's hard for us to get that because we want to be... No, I, I want to make sure that, 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 that I did it. Listen, there's always going to be something that's going to try to hinder us from the Word. And it references the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. Now, that's an absolutely frightening statement to me. Sown in the heart... But it doesn't stay there. It's one of the reasons why we're very, very careful about salvation and how we deal with children. We don't use terminology like to get saved, you ask Jesus into your heart. Folks, do not use that as your gospel presentation. You say, but no, I want them to understand. What you want them to understand is what sin is, and you want them to understand why they need a Savior. That's what they need to know. How have I, if I'm seven, how have I violated and transgressed a holy God? Now look, every parent in this room knows what I'm getting ready to say. There is no greater fear in all the world than thinking that your child is not going to be converted and is not going to be saved. And I think every parent in this room would agree with me on that. From the time they're born, if you're a believer, you're like, I want my child saved. I want them to be converted. Everybody does. But I want you to understand, you've got to be careful about where they put their hope in and what they're putting their hope in. I know children whose hope is not in Christ. It's in the pastor of their church. He's such a nice man. I am not salvation. No preacher is a salvation. No church is salvation. They must understand and be brought to the place where they know what repentance even is. I am alarmed at how many Baptist churches don't even talk about repentance. Oh, no. There's repentance. Repentance is required. You ask parents, is my child saved? Nobody who truly understands the Scripture is going to give you a definitive answer to that if they truly understand how severe this is. I can tell you at seven, I did not understand the truth of what my own sin really was. I prayed the prayer, but I didn't understand it. But it's part of our rush to get our kids saved. Grandparents, you're experiencing the same thing. You want your grandchildren saved. You want them to know Christ. But I caution you, allow Christ to save them. Allow Christ to save them. 
So that when they pick up the phone and they call their preacher, that's what they say. Christ saved me today, Pastor. Christ did it. So that they may boast in the cross and only in the cross. It's the greatest phone call I ever get. And there's no, there's no, uh, what, what did you do, young man? What did you do, young lady? Can you walk me through what you did so I can confirm for you? Uh-uh. I'm not going to give them any, any question as that they didn't do something right. That's what's happened. Well, did you go forward? Did you pray? Did you do? No. If a person comes to the realization that Christ saved them, folks, they're talking about something that is far beyond whatever we could program. I've watched the gospel take the hardest hearts and melt them and have no comprehension and thinking that this is, this is a disaster. I've stood in front of rooms of teenagers and I've preached gospel with, with people that, listen, as far as I knew, they had, they had a gun on them. Who people say, look, you got to watch out for this kid. He doesn't want anything to do with the gospel. And I watched it. I watched the gospels soften that kid's heart and watched that kid get saved and all is all to Christ. He didn't even work with an altar worker. He came forward. He said, Christ has saved me. This is a kid. They said he's on his last chance. He can't come to this youth center one more week. If he gets in trouble again, he's done. That's what the gospel does, folks. It wasn't dependent upon me. Listen, there are people who are not in opposition to the, to the word. They'll receive the truth. They'll actually nod their head. They'll actually say, I can agree with the, the morality of the gospel. There's a lot of people that agree with the morality of the Bible. One of the hardest hearts a person I ever saw was a person who was probably more moral than most of us were. But he was unconverted. See, we think sinners can't have a sense of morality. They do. He was unconverted. He would sit in a church, he would sit in a church like you guys. He would hear it. Blessed man. But it wasn't until years later Christ saved him. Why? Because Christ did it. You could sit here today, be a moral person. Have a great sense of morality. Notice it says he received seed, but he received it by the wayside. The truth sown in his heart, but it was only sown in his natural heart. The gospel isn't sown in the natural heart. There's a new creation, Paul says. But then notice he goes on in verse 20. He says, but he that received the seed into stony place is the same as he that heareth the word. And Anon, or then he, with joy, he receives it. Yet he hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Uh, this is part of what we don't understand. When the Lord was dealing with these soil types, giving these illustrations, uh, Jesus was talking about people uh, who ultimately are in their unconverted state. They're not Christians who are struggling with carnality. I, I, have heard, I have heard people use this text and say, no, what this really is, is a bunch of Christians who are just carnal, backslidden. These are unconverted people he's talking about. They, they hear the word, they see the word, they might not even oppose it. But then he gives this interesting illustration of people that endure for a while. Now, this is key. 
For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, because of the word he's offended. He gets offended because the gospel is offensive and he's persecuted for that belief in that gospel and he turns away and he wants nothing to do with it. I've said this a million times. We in this country don't fully understand this yet. And I'm telling you, all it took, and again, I'm not directing it to you because you're sitting here today, but all COVID did, people, that was all, that was, that was the tipping point. That was the tipping point. A sovereignly allowed infection, right? Do we forget that? God allowed this pulls into it, and it's been used, and it has resulted in what has been described by a lot of pastors and a lot of preachers as a purging period. That's all it took. It's interesting, and it caused such division. We think it only caused division in the secular world. I can't tell you how many pastors, how many churches have closed their doors because of the divisiveness of what they tried to do during COVID. Oh, you know what? You did this, so we're leaving. Look, if if COVID drove you out of the body of Christ, there's something wrong with your faith. And I praise God that we went through COVID as a very small church, and God's been adding to us. Now again, it's not what we're doing. It's not about us. But real persecution he's talking about here is when they basically start coming in the door and say, listen, you keep preaching that stuff and you're going to die. You watch how many people disappear out of Christianity. It's going to happen. There are people all over the world who are under the threat of real violence today and they're under the threat of real death for the stand of Christ and they're standing firm. They're not leaving. But notice, it was received with joy. But when the tribulation came, it was only for a season. A lot of professors received it for a season. It's a surface conversion. It's not a real conversion, but it's a surface change. Verse 22, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world. Notice this. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Uh, This group of hearers, Jesus is showing that uh, this this fits a lot of our, our age today. Uh, we're, we're trying to give our attention and love to two things. We're trying to love the world. We're trying to love Christ. It's the deceitfulness of riches. It's the deceitfulness of this is the things of this world, the cares, the concerns of this world. It's the, the thorns. It's, that's what's choking it out. We are so concerned about our earthly possessions and our earthly time. And there are those that they're deceived by the deceitfulness of riches. They become unfruitful. What happens to them? They become their profession. They're more concerned with the world. Notice how Jesus here connects our care and deceitfulness and unfruitfulness. Notice how that's all contained in that verse. Deceitfulness, care, choking out the word, becoming unfruitful. But then we have this third here, and this is what we've been coming to. The characteristic of good ground that receives the word. 
But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understands it, which also bears fruit. True conversion always bears fruit. It always bears fruit. I have no issue. I have no issue with going to a person's door, telling them about God. I have no issue with that at all. But you better be careful when you leave that house what hope you gave them. Because the reality is, is that should bear fruit. And if that person remains unchanged, there's never a change in their demeanor. There's never a change in their desire of the things of God. Don't buy the lie and keep saying, well, at least they got saved. At least we know they'll go to heaven. But there's no fruit. Notice he says they're fruit, it's fruitful, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. It brings forth fruit, those that actually hear. That's the story of the word success. Now listen, there is not a, you got to be careful that you build your entire theology around one parable. Don't just take one parable and say, this tells us everything there is to know about God. There are things that are given in one parable that are not given in another parable about who God is and how God functions. So I can't look at the parable of the sower and say, now this is all of it. If that was all, but he would only give in one parable, but he gave a number of parables, right? And each one of those parables has a different message to them. But what we can understand here is that we understand that that which actually gets into the heart, the word that hears the word, understands it. The truth then actually gets into that person. It takes root. It begins to grow. As a result of the truth actually being sown, fruit is produced. Again, simple, crude illustration. If I put a seed in the ground and that seed is supposed to produce a crop and a crop never comes up from that seed, can I say that that seed was fruitful? No, there's nothing there. There's nothing there, but there should be. It ought to be our aim as we think about our own comprehension of the Word. It ought to be our desire to say, listen, I, the Word of God has changed my heart. I, I, not just this mystical change, but my, my heart has actually been changed. I actually have a, an experiential knowledge of God. It's a phrase our modern churches don't like to use because we're afraid of the word experiential. But you know what? God is experienced, not in a mystical, weird way, but in a way that actually I really, I know who God is. Every sermon, every message we hear, we should come with the desire of I want to understand. And if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't have an understanding. I don't, want, I don't want to understand these things. I just want to know when you're going to say the final amen so I can get out of here. Listen, my prayer for you is, is that God would open your eyes. That God would unstop your ears. That the message that goes forth, that Christ does save you. Listen, when we pray for salvation, we pray for the salvation of souls. We're not praying just to pray. We truly ought to desire their soul to be saved. People often say, you know what, the, my biggest hang-up with the doctrines of grace is that you have no evangelistic zeal. Then you've been in the wrong church. Because these doctrines actually make you more zealous, not less zealous. You ought to desire more to get the gospel out because of what you know about God. 
say, no, I'd rather just, I'd rather the decision be all left up to my loved one. No, you don't want that because your loved one, according to the Bible, will never choose God for themselves. But we take comfort in knowing that the word goes forth and it accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish. We are blessed if you can hear today. You're blessed if you can see. And all glory goes to God for it. And next week, the Lord immediately goes into another parable. He gives a parable about another field. He talks about a field where there's good seed that's sown in that field. And something happens in that field. Amongst the wheat, tares come up. That which is not really what it appears to be. We'll look at that next week. If you have not repented of your sins, you have not trusted in Christ alone, the Gospel commands, repent and believe. Come running to Christ. He will not turn you away. He will not cast you out. Say, well, if I'm not one of those elect, He's going to turn me away. You've been taught wrong. You come to Christ, He's not going to turn you away. How do I know I'm elect? Come to Christ. This is not some magical formula. You come to Christ. I I pray that today, if you are in an unconverted state, that you will not leave here in that same condition. Let's stand together and finish with the hymn on 154.